Let's get started. Uh, th- this is Calling Shots. I am Seth Partnow. Um, quick note for people who've been listening along. Uh, I got informed by the folks at Colin today that uh, you can now find the show, uh, the RSS feed on the show, on your uh, your regular podcast app of choice, uh, both uh, Spotify and uh, iTunes. If you go on the website, the uh, RSS feed links will be there. So just a housekeeping note. But that out of the way... Uh, uh, for the, the the 50th episode of, of Colin Shots, a return guest from the de- Desert News, Sarah Todd. Sarah, how are you? I feel incredibly honored that you would have me on at this milestone episode. And I just don't even know what to say. I'm speechless, which is bad for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're in Dallas. We were just as before this. Obviously, the the Jazz uh, open the open the playoffs proper. Um both for themselves and the NBA, uh, playing uh, Mavericks in a that suddenly is seems much more of a toss-up than maybe it did uh, a week ago um, due to the concerns. Uh, I think we're both presuming Luka Doncic is not playing game one and probably not game two, um, and obviously that's a big loss for Dallas, but that, uh, that certainly changes the outlook of that series uh, more than a little. Yeah, it definitely changes it. And I think also that there's a little bit in there where people aren't 100% sure that it changes it, though. That's something we should probably talk about. Is like on, on the surface, that means that the Jazz pretty much could take this series if they want it, is what it seems like when you've got the biggest star on the other team that won't be available. But the, the, the Mavericks have won their last, like, I think it's five of the last six games that Luca didn't play in. The Mavs won that. And so that includes like after the trade deadline stuff. And once they had Spencer Dinwiddie, who has like hit a couple of buzzer beaters for them and he's been really great. And I think that he works really well next to guys like Jalen Brunson, Dorian Finney-Smith. And they just have like a bunch of guys that I think the jazz respect and also that do really well against the Jazz. Like Dwight Powell, I think a lot of Mavs fans doubt him in certain situations, but he plays really well pick-and-roll defense against the Jazz, uh, and he's really smart. And um, Max Kleber, he causes problems when he can take the team five out. I think that's kind of one of the biggest things is what, what are the Jazz going to do when they're actually you know forced to play five out um, that's kind of one of the biggest questions. So, yes, on one hand, Luca's not there, but I think that there's kind of asked Donovan about it today. Like, is there added pressure, thinking that Luca might not be there? And of course, he can't really answer that question honestly, even if it was the truth that, like, yes, there is added pressure. So he's like, no, you know, we know this team has good players. Like, of course, there's added pressure. If this Jazz team loses to the team that doesn't have Luka Doncic. When they're when the Jazz are completely healthy, um, that's more than just a a stain on the on the franchise. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I think that gets us into um, normally in a four or five matchup. If the best player on one team is out, it's like, oh well, that's 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 pretty lopsided the other way. But I mean, going into the series, uh, we were the way. The vibes around the Jazz towards the back half of the season were such that um, it was sort of expecting a quick exit um, and then a massive reevaluation of the team. And the added pressure bit is almost like, yeah, everything's going to get blown up with great force if they don't manage to win the series now. Um, but I was at, prepping for this pod. I was trying to pull some numbers to illustrate kind of how much Utah has struggled since Joe Ingles went down because that's been the narrative. And on a top line, it, it's it, it's not you can't really see it that way. I mean, they're nineteen and twelve, I believe, since he got injured in over that span. I believe they're sixth in offense, sixth in defense, and so that's not that's not a resume of a team that has scuffled yet. Yeah, <laughs> yet. Yeah, um, that's the, the so, operative word is so important. <laughs> so, like, on one hand, like, I, I, I feel the scuffle is the, is the dominant narrative and is probably more accurate. So why is that 
more the thing than sort of the uh you know the 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 black no, the black letter numbers i guess yeah i mean cuz even i i call i wrote a column a few weeks ago calling them a bad vibes team and it was like you know i i spent all season trying to like defend them against what's what just felt wrong and like you said you can't really point to it in any sort of metric way but there is a feeling that isn't great. And, you know, when you're a beat reporter and you're covering a team and you kind of constantly have to, like, write about rumors that players don't like each other and you constantly have to ask players about that kind of stuff. And then, there, you know, I think one of the biggest things is since the beginning of the season, when they were winning and winning pretty prominently, they something has just like felt kind of off. Like it feels like they were just kind of winning by the skin of their teeth a little bit. Or like, you know, a good team with talented players like the jazz can, they're going to win games, but it's like, you know, an early season loss to the magic, an early season loss to the Pistons, two losses to the Pacers pre trade deadline. Um, then a loss to the Rockets, you know, like they've lost to all of the worst teams in the league. And when they lose, it's like their, their own worst enemy. It's because they make mistakes. And those are the same mistakes they make in games that they win. It's just, you're going to win some of those games because like, they're also a very good shooting team. And so like, sometimes you just outscore guys, but it doesn't look and feel very good. And then of course there's the, you know, the issues that have been brought up sort of nationally, like the late game collapses that they've had recently, especially the one that felt like complete deja vu against the Clippers in the exact same way that happened in game six last season, they were up by 25 and then they completely just fall apart. And they did the same thing against, the Warriors, they did the same thing against the Suns. And so, you know, those are playoff level teams. And so it's like, if you lose to bad teams, when you make a bunch of mistakes and you lose to good teams and you make a bunch of mistakes and like, there's a common thread and it's that you make a bunch of mistakes and you haven't fixed it all season. And so I, and there, there's not like a, you can't look at it and give it too much of a concrete answer in in the way of like X's and O's, you know, you can't look at it and be like, Oh, well, if, you know, X player would have moved here, then like, it would have been a better way to attack that kind of defense. It's usually like, well, Rudy Gobert threw the ball out of bounds or Donovan dribbled the ball off of his foot. Like those are just focus things. And I don't, I don't know how you fix that. And that's the problem is that when you talk to these guys after games, they don't know how to fix it either. And so when you've got a problem with no answer, it just con- it compounds that bad vibe. And things have felt better recently, in recent weeks. I mean, like we all heard about the, you know, players only meeting, which uh, I suggested in my column that they have. So I'm just going to take credit for that right now. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe that's what they needed is just to like get it all out on the table and just commit to one another. But they still haven't like played spectacularly. And so it, it leaves a lot of people, especially jazz fans, like wondering if they would be capable of uh, stringing together, you know, four out of seven wins. Cause that, that's what this all lines up to is like consistency. Is like, in terms of things being better since the players only meeting, like what, I mean, I'm going to ask for rank speculation now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, like, is, is this a situation where they get the players in the meeting and Mike Conley stands up and says, Rudy, Donovan, you both shut the hell up and let's finish the season and then we'll deal with everything after that. Or is it, is it, is it wider than, than, and, you know, I'm, I think that the focus for a lot of the Jazz's issues has been that sort of fractious relationship, which has been, I mean, it's going on, I think, three or four seasons now where it's been sort of understood and or reported and or bubbling under the surface that that's not a, not always a healthy dynamic between their two best players. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure on the dynamic because I mean, you know what Mike Conley is like. I mean, he's been in the league forever. Like he's not really a, 
demonstrative loud voice, right? Like, I, I can't really imagine him being the guy that's, you know, kind of like what Joe Ingalls would have done. Like, I think Joe Ingalls would have done what you said, gone in the locker room and just been like, shut the hell up, grow up, you know? I don't, I don't see that from Mike Conley, but, um, and that's the thing. I think that having someone else tell you that you need to kind of grow up, maybe that's what hasn't worked so far and needs to come from, you know, both Rudy and Donovan to just say it themselves. Like we're adults. We need to figure this out. And so hopefully that's, that's what happened. Um, Cause I kind of think that's the only way to move forward from this is to have those guys stand up and both of them be the voices in the locker room rather than be told what to do. And if that's what happened, then then maybe there is a little bit of hope for this team and for them to move forward. And that being said, I, I also don't think it's just Rudy and Donovan. I think there's a lot of guys on that team that like were siding with Donovan in certain things. And so you've got to get all of that out into the air and hopefully say like, this is not about taking sides. This is not about one player. Like we just need to like, play right because we're really talented and so you what you hope is that they act like adults in that room i don't know if they did <laughs> <laughs> sure so i mean one of the big issues i guess has been that the jazz uh, of the teams in the playoffs proper um i think regardless of how today's game shake out the only team that had a worse record in clutch defined NBA the way the NBA does is in a game anytime it's a game is five five points or less five minutes or less. The only playoff proper team that had a worse clutch record was Boston, and the bulk of Boston's sort of badness was early in the season. They've been essentially since the New Year's they've been about a five hundred team in the clutch, um, whereas the Jazz sort of consistently have been bad. What? Uh, what do you think explains their propensity to drop close games? Um, oftentimes, this is the sort of thing where there's some randomness involved, and just like sometimes you make shots, sometimes you don't. But again, from a vibe standpoint, I have my own theories, but from a vibe standpoint, it, it does seem like there's more going on than just like, you know, getting the bounces or not. Yeah, so. You know, a little bit what I was talking about already where, you know, they start to get in their own heads and they they just have compounding mistakes when they get when the pressure gets higher in those clutch situations. And, you know, it's, you know, they they allow an offensive board and then they're taking the ball out of bounds. They run down the court and it's an ISO situation. And Donovan has been horrible in the clutch this season. And so he takes, a, you know, a contested shot that's not very good. It doesn't go in. And then, you know they slip in transition or they, they get a little bit of hope. They steal the ball in transition and then they throw it out of bounds. Right. Like it's just compounding mistakes. I think in the clutch that, um, again, it's like they, they just shoot themselves in the foot and it, it seems like they, they've been better at this before. And I know that they'd had, you know, issues in the clutch in past seasons, but it just, it just feels like they, they're, unfocused and but I think that a large part of it is that Donovan Donovan's trying to do too much and Donovan's just like not that guy and like yes he has had great moments but I don't really view Donovan Mitchell as like an incredible clutch player you've got guys on that team who like Mike Conley has been better in clutch situations and so like maybe he should be taking more shots down the stretch and Donovan's really good at like splitting a blitz or like getting off a double team quickly uh, to put guys in better situations. And so you've also got like Boyan Bogdanovich, who has been a pretty good clutch player. And so I think that I think that Donovan has just been trying to do too much, but has, been, has felt a responsibility and felt like he needed to carry the team in those moments. And like he doesn't need to because carrying the team doesn't necessarily mean knocking down the shot. It means making the right decision. And I don't think that they're. I think too often he has not made the right decision. I mean, I, yeah, that's sort of of my theory has been that too much hero ball too early in, in even, you know, too early in the later portions of games. And it's just, it's hard to survive if you're, if you're, your main ball handler, your lead ball handler has a, has a 39 true shooting in the clutch on, uh, 
you know, uh, almost 38% usage. That's like almost right. more than the third of you're basically lighting almost 40% of your possessions on fire in the clutch and in close games, you just, it's hard to overcome that. Right. Um, and, and like, if you compare that to like the rest of the game, like a guy like on the other side of the court, Luka Doncic, right? Like he has like a overall, like 37% usage rate, which is like historically high. Right. And then right. you're just letting Donovan take over for a higher usage rate in clutch situations when he's not as good. And so it's, it just doesn't add up. But it's not, it's not unusual for like, lead ball handlers to have elevated usage in the clutch. Um, right. You know, they, you, you know, you got some getting fouled intentionally in there and, and so on and so forth. But still, the combination of that usage level and that inefficiency is, yeah, right. tough to overcome. And it, I mean, and that's, you know, I don't, I don't put you in a position of attacking or defending Donovan Mitchell. But that's sort of been my critique of him over the years is he is his, uh, you know, his willingness to go hero ball a little too fast for a team that has a number of different weapons. But, and, and, you know, so maybe that's part of like the cumulative thing that's happening. And then uh, maybe a little bit Rudy is a interesting personality. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, and, that's totally you know, fair. I mean, he, and, I, you know, and, and Quinn, and Quinn Snyder is, is Quinn Snyder. And it's maybe we're just a little bit of, of the cumulative buildup of all those things kind of rubbing up against each other. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting personalities, I think are, are harder for people to, it's not it's not like you can't have like a weird guy on a team and be successful like that no those aren't mutually exclusive like you can but i think that if there's another guy on the team that's like very likable and marketable and popular right like then that's when it starts to get weird because there's a contrast and i think that's what you have with Rudy and Donovan like you have a really likable guy that you know is well respected and liked around the league and he's friends with a lot of people around the league and so people don't hate on him as much but around the league like people like to talk crap about Rudy Gobert like he's just like a punching bag and I think that maybe he doesn't always feel like he has like the support from within to be able to handle that and so there's a lot of things that can go into a dynamic like this. And like, obviously, you know, you kind of have the cliches of, you know, two competitors that are, have that talent and skill level. Like there's going to be tension there anyways. But I mean, I'm at the point where it's like, if you can't just like grow up and get over it, then like, what are we doing here? <laughs> I, I mean, yes, but like, you know, Working relationships, like any relationship, sometimes it's just, it's, it's, it's time to, for everyone to just move on. And, you know, we'll get to this again at, at the end, but I think we might be reaching that point. Let me, one more question before we get to, you know, this, this Dallas series sort of in detail. Have you, have you asked people from other teams why, like, everyone hates on Rudy? This is, it, it's, a, it's really a fascinating uh, uh, thing to me, why he is, he seems to be like the most, um, I don't know. I, I guess maybe since like Giannis got bonafide by winning a title, certainly Rudy seems to be like the guy that players just have like other people around the league have no time for. And I'm curious as to why that is. Yeah. I mean, I've asked a lot of people, a lot of people around the league, this question. And, um, you know, I think part of it is uh, being a European player. Um, they're just kind of like a, maybe a, a different attitude and approach that, you know, guys that are not from the States have. And so those, those tend to be guys that are picked on a little bit more in the NBA, which, you know, seems a little bit xenophobic, but I think that is built into it. Uh, and it's also the fact that like, no one likes the guy that's going to stuff them, right? Like, that's not a guy that anyone is very happy about. You're not going to get, like, blocked at the rim or, like, uh, you know, when you're dribbling into the paint and, like, you turn around and you dribble out just because he's standing there. It's not like you want to walk out of the 
walk out in the room in the post game and like say good things about him because like he messed up your game. Right. And so I, I think part of it is like his defensive prowess at the same time. Like there's a, I think that it's very easy to like ignore sort of how metrically good Rudy is at defense and people can point to like one clip against Steph Curry or one clip where he gets dunked on and say like, this is the guy that we're calling the best defender in the league. And like, you know, that's like one clip from this year and one clip from three, four years ago. But those clips exist. And so because things like go viral and we're in the age of social media, I think that like those things stick in people's head. And especially considering the fact that the jazz are kind of a middling team, small market, They've never really, like, been a team that's threatening deep contention in the postseason. All of this adds up. I think, you know, it puts him in a position to be a guy that, you know, is easy to kind of become the target. And then, you know, the the thing that makes me the most mad is I think what added to it was him crying um, about the All-Star snub a few years ago. And... I'm of the opinion that, like, if anybody cares about something at all, like, they're more than welcome to have the emotions that they want. And who are we to, like, judge those emotions? But, I mean, paint me a 2022 woman if that's the case, because people people tend no. to really hate that. No, we, we I mean, it's it's sort of of a piece with, with you know, one, like... The the uh, the Minnesota the the end of the Minnesota Clippers game where you know Pat Beverly is getting very emotional and and everyone <laughs> yeah. like decided everyone decided that was like lame or something it's like you know all the time you're, you're like there's a criticism that that NBA players don't care enough or whatever which is nonsense but then mm-hmm. like a, but then a guy is like invested enough to be emotional about it and it's like no don't care that way that's not that's not what we want and it's like well come on right like. You know, you like you have to put so much of yourself into this to be great at this. That yeah, you you work hard and you achieve something, and you don't get recognized for it. I can see why. Like you know, the year he was upset about that, he got like stone cold robbed of an all star spot. Um, and um, you know, I can uh, you know, is that the way I would have reacted? I I can't say that 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 yes or no, having never been in that situation, but. But for some people, yeah, that's how you react in those situations, and that—that's—that's that, that's just that's, that should be that should not be something that we're clouding people for. Um, and the context um, of that, the context of that situation too, is like I can definitely see myself reacting that way in that situation because he had like just gotten off the phone with his mother back in France, where he grew up in like abject poverty, right, and like she really wanted it for him. Like she wanted to like have him have like this touchstone and meet this milestone in the NBA um, to be able to like point to something and be like, you know, I remember when we lived in like government funded buildings and now you're an NBA all-star. And then when it didn't happen, like she was very emotional. And so to come from that and then like answer questions about it, like that's what's on his mind is his mom. Like, I think a lot of people would get really emotional when they're thinking about their mother crying. Right. Okay. So, uh, so enough of my, uh, uh, of, of, of us, of, you know, I'm, I think I'm a well-known defender of Rudy Gobert, but uh, let's talk about this, this, this series. Um, as we kind of started out, it, it's sort of become more intriguing, if more fraught with Doncic being out for, presumably two games and possibly getting re-injured, possibly missing more, possibly being limited. Who knows? Um, on, on, on Nerd of the other day, we, we, we were talking about this, and I kind of thought that I, Dallas, like, Luca has to miss good portions of at least three games. Otherwise, I still think Dallas is winning the series. And in part, I think that you mentioned Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie before. This is a good series for them to kind of pick up the slack for, for Luca. If they were, if, if Dallas was playing, say a team with, with, uh, you know, stop me if you've heard the, the, you know, the lack of this kind of player before on the jazz, but kind of athletic rangy wing defenders, 
Oh my god, I've um, never. <laughs> those are like like those are those are players that Jalen Brunson has struggled against in the playoffs and Utah doesn't have that. Um, you know, like as Royce O'Neal is fine, but he's not that. Um and and you know, and you know Mike Conley is a decent defender, but he's no not young and Donovan Mitchell is an indifferent at times defender, especially in the playoffs. So I think this is like those two guys have a chance of getting loose and which then lets all of Dallas's other guys still get their shots that they normally rely on Luca to generate for him. So while he's a huge loss, he's, I don't want to say replaceable, but substitutable more in this matchup than he might be in others. Yeah, I mean, and you've also got guys who can make up for, you know, because you're losing a lot of points, but you're also losing a lot of creation. But Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie can create pretty well. <laughs> and and I'm sure that they're fine with carrying that load. But also, like, if you're looking to, like, make up for points, like, Spencer Dinwiddie can shoot the hell out of the ball. So can Maxi Kleber and uh, Jalen Brunson can get downhill really, really well. And so, like, I don't think that making up the points is going to be the problem. And like you said, I think if we're looking at this as like a rangy wing defender problem, which I think is a, has been a problem, will continue to be a problem. I think that it's actually an incredibly important series for Daniel House, which it's like, it feels like, you know, I'm back in 2018 because we've said that before for him on, on a different team. But I think that, you know, that just happens to be a really important pickup for the Jazz, and I think that he's going to be really critical for them in the postseason. Sure. So if you are if you are, are from the Utah perspective, what do you think? What is the reason that if they win the series, um, how are they going to do it? What's, gonna, what's going to have happened? If they're going to win this series, it's going to take, uh, I mean, like we said, Donnie Mitchell can't, Get, make the ball stop in the fourth quarter uh, or even the late third quarter. Um, the offense has to continue to move throughout the game. That's and that's not just this series. Like that's like the Jazz want to win any game against any team in the playoffs. They they can't do that, and it's also probably going to mean like close. I, I don't know that Quinn Snyder w- is going to want to change his starting rotation but it might mean changing closing rotations. And so you might see more like Daniel House minutes. You might see more of Daniel House and Royce playing together in the same lineup, I think. I mean, just anything to add like higher intensity defense, and that might come at the expense of someone like Jordan Clarkson being in the game for scoring purposes. I think they might choose to just like double down on defense that way. And... um. Donovan just has to be a better decision maker. Uh, that's that's what's going to happen if if the Jazz are going to win this. He you know he can't stop the ball. He has have to get off, he has to get off of it faster in situations, and and that doesn't mean that he can't attack or like take pull up threes. Like those are good shots for Donovan Mitchell, but there are there are some that he takes that are bad, and it also means that he has to up his level on defense because Donovan can be a good defender, not great, but he can be a good defender, and he has to be. Yeah, he can't relax. Sure. Um, this is kind of a, a, a... We haven't necessarily heard a ton about it, but this seems like it's a pretty big series for Quinn Snyder. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. It's a few things there, because, like, you know, we've heard uh, rumors about other teams being interested in Quinn Snyder. I think what's important for that is to note that we've heard other teams are interested in Quinn Snyder and not the other way around. And that's really in fact, the normal. opposite, of, the opposite right. of that. And like, you do, like, you know, the Lakers, it's like, well, if you're going to do Frank Vogel like that, no, thank you. Yeah. Like, it's and if anyone the, who the knows, Quinn, about that. yeah, anyone who knows Quinn Snyder knows that he's like one of the most fiercely private coaches in the NBA. Like, there is no way I could imagine him going to that LA market and like being in the position that Frank will like, it just, it, that situation does not yell Quinn Snyder to me. And, but it's very, very normal 
for a guy of Quinn's caliber and of his knowledge and of what he's been able to do in the way of developing players and keeping guys together and happy for so many years, if there's a chance that he might be available, it is incredibly normal for other teams to be like perking up their ears and paying attention. And so that noise is, uh, it makes sense to me. Uh, whether or not Quinn would want to leave, I think completely depends on what's going to happen in the playoffs. Like, if the Jazz lose against a Luka Doncic-less team, like if he if Luka's not playing and the Jazz lose, like we might be looking at a lot of big changes for the Jazz. And if there are a lot of big changes, does that mean that they let Quinn go? Does it mean that they ask Quinn to stay around to be a part of a second rebuild? Does he want that? He's already been through it. Like, does he want to suffer through a rebuild again? I mean, I know that he likes working with young players, and that, like that's you know a pride point for him. But I just don't know what he would want in that situation. And you know, in the case of like the possibility of you know them blowing everything up, maybe they don't even give him the option of sticking around. And then there's the third option where it's like, what if they lose and the Jazz actually don't make very many moves? What if they just try to do it again? which is the very boring answer, but it's a possibility, right? That seems untenable. Right, exactly. And so, like, if they're just going to try it again, like, I don't know that Quinn would want to stay around for that either because of how hard this season has been. So It's it's surprising to me that, (laughs) that, that, you know... Having you know observed the NBA for a long time, and you know these the teams uh, have you know with given constructions and and sort of cores have life cycles, and where Utah is in theirs, the fact that like it's not, yeah, if the Jazz lose the series, they're they're changing their coach, like that would be in like ninety five percent of of comparable situations. That right. seems like almost assumed, and the fact that it like. That it's like, like I wonder if they would. Like that's that's all, that's weird to me. That is, yeah. that's not like. I mean, is it? I mean, I don't know if it's because because Utah or because he's so private or, uh, you know, the the the, the org isn't putting it, like isn't expressing any frustration or what have you. Um, which, given the number of cooks in the kitchen, is sort of surprising in and of itself that there, that there isn't someone somewhere, you know, talking out of school. So this is very surprising to me, honestly. They've had, they've had a very Spurs esque like lock on these, these kind of conversations, right? Like, I mean, even like very plugged in, like national reporters don't know exactly the, the status of Quinn Snyder's contract, right? Like that's, that's strange. And it's also strange, like you said, like there's so many cooks in the kitchen. It's strange right now for me to tell you, like, I don't totally know the hierarchy of that kitchen. Like, is Danny Ainge making the final decision? Is Justin Zanuck making the final decision? Is Ryan Smith the one that, like, does he have his hands on everything that much? And so I don't, I don't know. It's where, like, where does Dwayne Wade uh, factor in? Right. Where does he factor in? Uh, and does he, is he just, does he factor in, right? Like, cause what you're talking about, like a minority owner, like they've, they've made him like so prominent and it was such a big deal. Like that's not usually a big deal in other situations. Like when Jay-Z was owning what, like part of the Nets or Will Smith had part of a team too. Like no one talked about them making decisions, but we're talking about that with Dwayne Wade. And uh, I don't, I don't think that's by accident that we're talking about that. So it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a really weird situation that we, we don't totally know where decisions are falling and who they're falling from. And you're absolutely right. Like to talk about a coach, I mean, for a team that has not been able to make it past the second round, it's surprising to me that Quinn wasn't brought up as being so much on the hot seat last season. And so the fact that, like, there's still questions about whether or not he could stick around this season, that is weird. You're right. 
it's, I mean, it, 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 it's frankly thrown me for a little bit of a loop that it's not just like, yeah, no, it was the series, he's gone. Um, but <laughs> yeah. the, I mean, and that, that, that might be how it shakes out. And, you know, that it, it, it could be, you know, sort of, uh, uh, maybe, maybe what happens this, this summer is they, you know, settle all family business. Well, I'm, I'm about to make a movie reference and you're not going to come with me. So never mind. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it, it's a plot point at the end of the Godfather where he said, like, I think from context, he settles all family business in one day. I think that, you know, it's a mob movie put two and two together. Anyway, yeah, spoiler, I, I can, I can context, <laughs> I can context the clues that one, but you're right in that yeah, I've yeah. never seen the Godfather. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. So, I'm also surprised that, that you're even that you're even floating the idea that running it back is something that that would be in play. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's a very weird situation because like the 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 at the forefront of my brain, I am of course like yeah, if they lose this series, it's it's over for everyone because that's the logical NBA thing to think, but. The jazz are weird, man. Like there, there definitely is a part of me that thinks like maybe, maybe they are going to try it one more time, and like do the same thing that they did this year and just try to retool around the edges. Maybe they are going to trade just Donovan or just Rudy, and try to build around the other one. Which honestly, I, I don't think that you get the right package back in either situation to actually make a deep run. Like I, I. I kind of am under of the belief that you trade one, you trade both because that's, that's the direction you have to go. Um, but I, I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> how much of that is, I mean, how much of that on some level is up to Mitchell? I mean, I like Rudy doesn't seem like someone who's going to demand to, going to a different market or different team or something, but maybe the, maybe the sort of the interpersonal stuff gets so untenable that he's like, yeah, you got him or me. Maybe that happens, but it does seem like from kind of what we've, what's sort of been out there that Mitchell possibly being like, I want to go to a bigger market. Um, I've done my time here. I've given you everything, you know, uh, it's time to move on, you know, send me to New York, send me to, Chicago, send me somewhere bigger. Um, that seems like that's in play. Am I? Yeah, I think that's. I think is that's that just, is that sort of, is that is that and that's not just sort of the uh, the the, tra- the, uh, the 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 transactions game people needing new grist for the mill. That just it, it, it does seem like that's something that's sort of been bubbling out there. Yeah, so, I mean, the problem is is that. I think I think this happens like every time there's like a trade or something that is like on the horizon or something that could potentially be happening. It's like I I always wish that I could just like go in and like shake people and be like, "What are you thinking? What what's going on in your head right now?" Because <laughs> like the Knicks suck, right? <laughs> like, yeah. The, like if that's what Donovan Mitchell wants, if he wants to go to New York, like he wants to play under like. James Dolan and like deal with that. And also like, uh, he doesn't like often some of the scrutiny that he gets and he like kind of claps back at reporters. Like he wants, he wants the New York attention then. And also, uh, they're not good at building a team. Like if they get Donovan Mitchell, like what bad contract are they going to put right next to him? Because they love doing that. And what, what package is good for the jazz in that? Like, RJ Barrett's not going to make the Jazz better than they are right now. I don't think if Donovan Mitchell's not I, there, I am not going to comment on what RJ Barrett would or would not do for the Jazz because you know that just gets me in trouble when I. No, I, I you know, I, it's, it's, <laughs> you know what the actual like move would be. I I don't know. Like, I, if I, if I sat down with a trade machine, I could come up with something that plausibly made sense. But like, why bother? Um, yeah. Um, but it's but but my, my my underlying question is, I mean, how like is basically like if you know it, the the decision to run it back or not, like how much does that almost like rest with him? With with probably, with probably a like, lot, you know. probably 
probably more than a lot of people think, honestly, because, and if it doesn't, like if it, I think a lot more than just run it back rests on that. Like if Mitchell is like, you know, him or me, or if he says, I want Quinn gone, or if he picks out who he wants to coach the team, I think all of those things are in play because, you know, like it or not, uh, Donovan Mitchell makes the jazz money. Right. And at the end of this, this is like a business and he's a profitable guy. And so I think that there's a lot of it that rests on his shoulders. So if, if in those sort of him or me situations, like the, the thumb is sort of on the scales, that it becomes maybe larger than just a basketball decision? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I, I, I mean, I think that, that, you know, from a basketball-only perspective, that, that maybe sucks, but from a, from a broader perspective, that makes sense. Oh, it totally um, sucks. I, so think, what, I mean, I, yeah. I think it's a, well, there's a, there's a big chance, I think, that some sucky basketball decisions are made in order to please Donovan or anyone else. I mean, when have we, when have we seen, seen a, a basketball move meant to placate uh, a, a, a star uh, go, go wrong? When, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 can't, I can't think of any, any recent examples of, of you know, you get, you get the ball-dominant you know, score who he yeah. wants to play with a couple times. And anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> but like active, active players are bad GMs and it, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's pretty simple um, because it's because, you know, you basically, you, you see guys twice a year and, and, you know, you, you remember like, like you were talking about earlier, you remember the one time a guy hit a nasty step back or he got dunked on or he got blown by and the, and that carries way more weight in your evaluation of them than, than it really should. Um, so having, 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 uh, defined the universe of what could happen as anything, uh, <laughs> you know, without, <laughs> yeah. without, with, without getting ahead of ourselves. So let, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's like, uh, take three different scenarios of, of what happens in the postseason, and, and you're kind of, you know, not going to hold you to this because nobody knows nothing. And we've established the reasons why, but. You know, okay, the the Jazz lose to the Mavericks. The Jazz get by the Mavericks. The Jazz make the either you know lose a closely fought seven game second round series, or actually go deeper than that. What in the in each of those three scenarios? What do you think is the most likely kind of next thing that happens here? Yeah, I mean, I I think if they make it to the Western Conference Finals, I think there's a chance that they run it back. I think that's that's the only scenario where I see where they really do, like, you know, you win the hearts and minds of the players, everybody starts to believe in themselves, and you actually want to make another run at it. Um, outside I mean, of that... Yeah, honestly, I mean, they beat the Suns, probably, if, the, if that happens. So I exactly. think I feel good about that. Uh, if it's like a hard-fought seven-game series against the Suns, honestly... It is really hard for me to imagine the Jazz not having like a a pretty upended off season. Anything short of the Western Conference Finals, okay. and in a like you know, like we discussed, it's a universe where anything can happen, and it's very weird. I do think that if they are a first or second round exit, that they're just not going to be able to move forward with the same team. Uh, as is because they've been able to lean on injury as an excuse, you know, uh, an, an excuse for exits in the postseason, but also an excuse for a uh, kind of under evaluating the team, I guess, you know, cause you've got the, you know, the Ricky Rubio injury, and then you've got Boyan Bogdanovich missing the bubble um, postseason, Mike Conley leaving for a game of that uh, for the uh, birth of his son. 
And then last season, you've got Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley both hobbled in the playoffs. And so you can kind of lean on that as an excuse to be like, well, we don't really know what could have been if everyone was healthy. You can say that every year. This year, guys are healthy heading into the postseason. And so barring like a serious injury to a starter, I think that they're out of excuses. And so if they flame out in the second round, I just, I don't think that you can come back. And I I would honestly expect Quinn Snyder and uh, at least one of Rudy or Donovan uh, to be gone if that's the case. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, it is a, Given, I mean, given the amount of still of of high of very talented, productive players Utah has on their team, I mean, I think it's it, like what they decide to do in the offseason is sort of a kind of a hinge point for the entire NBA. Which, if, which, if you think about it, like I, you know, the the I don't think we need to go dive deep into it, but just the notion of an Atlanta or a Charlotte at you know trading for Gobert, like what is that? Like that, that is a, I think that's a pretty seismic shift in what the Eastern conference looks like next year, for example. Um, but that's, you know, again, it's getting way ahead of ourselves there. Well, and I don't really think there's a, I don't really think that there's another like first round series that holds that kind of weight to it either. You know, like it's an incredibly interesting first round matchup for, to have a four or five series potentially like, alter the structure of one or both of the conferences if it goes a certain way. Like that, uh, That's not usually what you're looking at for a four or five. And so it's, it's an incredibly interesting, uh, interesting first round series. I think, I mean, I think that like of, of all of the eight series, like one where it's hard, like, it, I, I, is there another team with, with, with like that much riding on, like how the postseason shakes out for them this year, then then almost both of these teams, if you think about it, right? Mean, yeah, and Dallas yeah. and Dallas could be Dallas could be a team that that benefits from uh, like beating the Jazz, not just in, in in moving to the second round, but like you know, there's been rumors that Dallas would be interested in Gobert too. So like. Uh, Definitely a lot riding for both teams, but there, there's there's not there's not another matchup in this first round at all that carries this kind of weight. You could go down the line like Minnesota's happy to be there. Memphis is just on the rise. They're going to be pleased with anything and just continuing to get better. Golden State knows the injuries that they were dealing with. Denver knows the injuries they were dealing with. Phoenix is on the top of everything and. Uh, you know, if the Clippers make it through, they had to play without Kawhi and Paul George has COVID now. And if the if the Pelicans make it through, like they're playing without Zion, they just got CJ. So like they're, none of these other teams are going to be really like making huge, drastic changes. Um, but Dallas and Utah very well might. It's uh, the, the games themselves might not be pretty, but this, this, there's going to be a lot of intrigue. Exactly. I think. Um, so let's, before we get, get you out of here, for folks that, that haven't heard Sarah uh, and I talk before, um, you've never seen any movies. And no, so no. last time you were on, last time you were on, like, I, uh, I think about a year and a half ago, I recommended that you see Rear Window. You watched it. You liked it. So now I am your, your, your movie Sherpa. And um, I think you, you asked for a couple of recommendations last time. Um, one of them was a, like a more modern action movie, and I think we went with uh, Mad Max. And the other one was The Third Man. Now, you didn't get a chance to watch that one. But you did watch Mad Max, and you have you have thoughts. So. Yeah. When I first started watching Mad Max, I was very excited because two of the most beautiful and hot, sexy people in the world are Charlize Theron and Tom Hardy. And so I was like, oh. <laughs> and then just grime them up. Yeah, which, like, that sounds good to me. Like, just make them dirty as hell and, like, scared and adrenaline rushed. Like, yeah, I'm in. This sounds great. And the fact that they did not have sex is maybe the most disappointing thing that's ever happened in cinematic history. <laughs> I I cannot believe that you're putting the two most beautiful people in the world and you're getting them all grimy 
and you're and nothing's gonna happen like i i was incredibly disappointed by that it pissed me off throughout the whole movie and then at the end like the ending where it's like he just like walks away kind of like emo style into the crowd uh spoiler alert but i every time i say spoiler alert it's always about a movie that's come out like 10 or more years ago and so (laughs) i'm the only one it would have spoiled um and then the other part i did not like was the guitarist (laughs) which seems to be a lot of people's favorite part like people really enjoy that guy and it's like so you you cut out you you cut out for a second there so i'm assuming you're you're talking about the flame guitar guy yes that guy you're talking about the flame guitar (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. I don't like it was completely impractical and stupid, but man did it look cool. It looked very cool, but like I if you're a warlord, maybe be better at warlording and take some more guns or something and not bring that many amps and a guitar player that also has a hammock. Like maybe he doesn't need a hammock and you could use a few more weapons. Like just be better at warlording. And so the the non-practicality of it made me mad. Other than those things, I, I thought it was great. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Other, other than these stylistic touches on our, our dystopian fiction. I think I would defend <laughs> the, 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 the first point. Like, I, I get, I get your, your objection, but at the same time, um, that thematically would, that sort of would not have felt... In in keeping with kind of the uh, the the larger kind of focus of the movie, yeah, I sure, I, I guess <laughs> it's you know, <laughs> yeah. So what? You don't care? It's, it's too yeah. it's, it's too hot. People on screen, and so yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I wanted. I want to watch that. I want to watch Tom Hardy and Charlie Theron. <laughs> fair enough. Well, I don't. I don't have a movie to recommend for for exactly that. Although, um, uh, if if that's what you're into, then the other movie I'd recommend to you is uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh, yeah, but I just with... can't. I can't stand Brad Pitt, though. Oh, oof. okay. Well, damn. Then I'm then then you're stuck watching a a, a movie from the forties. There we go. Well, last time last yeah. time you recommended a vintage movie, it worked out. So the Third Man is next on my list. Okay, well, next time you come on, probably sometime uh, in the off-season, as some of these changes are happening, uh, we will we'll have to discuss The Third Man, and in particular, uh, your thoughts on the soundtrack, because it's, it is a pretty distinctive uh, soundtrack that, uh, that is often commented upon, I'll say that. I can't wait. All right. Uh, Sarah Todd, thanks for, uh, thank you for, for, uh, for making this work in, uh, a busy, rearranged uh, playoff travel schedule. Uh, always great to talk to you. And uh, I, I'm not sure when I'm back next, folks, but uh, talk to you sometime next week. And a reminder that you can uh, find the podcast either on the call and app or on iTunes or Spotify now. Uh, thanks a lot for listening and talk to you soon. Bye.